You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning, Mission family. It's a, definitely a privilege to share with you today. So in 2004, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees were playing for the American League Championship Series. And um, at the time, Jody and I and the kids, we lived in New York City. And a friend from Arkansas uh, said, hey, I want to take you to the game. Let's go to the game. I'll get you tickets. So uh, he gets uh, tickets for the game. And they're actually in the left field bleachers, which are a set of bleachers that are only opened up at Yankee Stadium uh, for playoff games. And, and really, they're not very good seats. There's no backs on them. There's just like a little round, little spot that you sit. And uh, the game's a distant memory from where you are. You know, it's a long ways away. And, um, you know, I, I'm being careful out there because I knew that these are like the real Yankee fans out there, right? And you know I'm not. And um, <laughs> so about the seventh inning in the game, Jason Veritek, the Red Sox catcher, launches the home run out into our area of the stands. And I got really excited. I went, yes! And I stand up. And then, oh, what am I doing, right? And there's a guy about four rows in front of me uh, with Red Sox gear on. He's crazy. And they just start giving him the hardest time. So they're cursing him out. They're throwing beer on him. You know, they're just, uh, just verbally abusing this guy. And I realized as I was sitting there that I was the enemy, right? I was the enemy of these Yankee fans. And uh, it made me be quiet the rest of the game. We did win the series. We did break the curse. It was a good year. Um, but, but it wasn't as fun as 2018. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was right. You know, the reality was I was the enemy. And it got me thinking, because we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 27 today, which is all about this idea of enemies. And honestly, guys, in our like New Testament, post-New Testament world, we don't talk about this at all, right? We know that Jesus said that we're to love our enemies, we're to do good to those who persecute us. We know that uh, New Testament says that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. But the reality is, there are times in your life despite your efforts, that somebody else sees you as the enemy. Maybe it's somebody at work that wants your job. And they've done everything they can to undermine you with the boss so that you look like you're not doing your job very well. They've, uh, you know, perhaps uh, said bad things about you uh, at the water fountain. uh, Or maybe it's a toxic relationship that you have. Somebody that used to be a friend but has proven themselves to be an enemy, where they uh, tear you apart on social media, where they manipulate you and try to uh, get you to do things, or where they try to go to your friends and say bad things about you. Or maybe you're somebody's enemy because of what you believe about God. Or maybe, as a Christian, it's because of what they think you think about them because of your Christianity. Whatever it is, the reality is, Somebody may see you as an enemy, and that is creating a difficulty in your life. So we're going to look at Psalm chapter 27, and we're going to see in this uh, chapter four things that I believe God wants us to know and think and, and apply uh, when we're dealing with a situation with an enemy. Uh, let's read the passage together. Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? 
The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Verse 11, teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Four things that God wants us to to gain from this passage about how to deal with an enemy. Number one is recognize God as the source of our strength and confidence. And we see this in verses 1 through 3, right? It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble? I finishes with this, I will remain confident. So we recognize God as a source of our strength and confidence. And there's certain elements of who God is in this passage, I think, that really jump out at us. He says, The Lord is my light, this idea of God as light. In our world today, that's not something we think a lot about, right? You walk into a room, you flip the switch, and it's as bright inside as it is outside. But at the time period this, uh, David was writing this psalm, it meant a lot. You know, when the, when the sun went down at night, all they had was a little candle or maybe a little oil lamp. It was dark. And the, the idea of God as light meant something uh, maybe more in their culture than it would in ours today. Um, and the way... Uh, the way light works, I think there's three elements of it that really connect to how God is our light. One thing is that light shows the way for us, right? When you're going down a dark street, the street lights are there, they light the way, they show you the direction. You're walking at night, you have a headlamp or a flashlight on, you can see the direction that you go, and you can see the way that you should uh, go. Second thing that light does too, though, is it lights the darkness, right? It reveals what's out there in the dark. Um, Jody and I walk early uh, in the mornings a lot, and um, especially during the winter season, sometimes you're out there and you're using a headlamp or you're using a flashlight, and suddenly you raise it up just a little bit further away and you realize, oh, there's a coyote right there. And you realize if you hadn't had the light or you hadn't lifted the light, you never would have known it was there. It like seems to know exactly how to be the right distance away, but the light reveals what's really there in the darkness, right? Now, none of you are going to want to walk, but hey. Um, <laughs> 
Third thing, though, that light does is it gives energy, causes growth, right? The, the light of the sun is what spurs the photosynthesis process in plants, makes plants and trees grow. And as I was thinking about those elements of light, I think it's very much like uh, what God is for us. First, God, like light, shows us the way, right? He uh, has a path for us. He's demonstrated through his word. This is the direction that you should go. And when we choose to do things God's way, the result is joy and peace in our lives. When we choose not to do it his way, we lose our way, and it's the opposite of that. Or that God also is the light in the darkness for us. He reveals the character and nature of what's there in the dark, right? And so that's the whole process by which we are to become discerning as mature believers. I can look at something and recognize it for what it really is. I can see the darkness that's there. I can see what's been revealed to me, the truth of what exists in this situation. So God is a light for us and lights the darkness. And then finally, God gives energy, causes us to grow, and our spiritual growth comes from him. So God is our light passage goes on in the second half of that first verse and says, the Lord is my fortress. This idea of fortress is a place where I can be safe, where a place where I can hide. And he finishes this section, though, says, even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. That word confident is this Hebrew word, bata. In that word confident there is this idea of having an assurance that comes from the source. It's a confidence in something. And that's really important because I sometimes can read, especially in this 21st century world, I can read this, I will remain confident and start to think it's a case of bravado, right? Where, yes, I'm confident. I got this. It's me. I can do this. But the psalmist is saying something very different. He's saying because of who God is, because of the character and nature of God, because of what he's revealed to me about himself, I can be confident in him. So when I'm dealing with an enemy, my confidence is in him and what he can do, not in what I can do. So the first thing God wants us to do when we're dealing with an enemy is to recognize him as the source of our strength and confidence. Second thing I want us to see in this passage is we gain strength when we're in the presence of the Lord. It says this in verse 4. This is in verses 4 to 6. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So when we hear that in our world today, we're thinking, geez, this dude likes to be in church, right? That's sort of how we might read that. This is not what it's about. So you have to recognize what uh, David is talking about in this psalm. So uh, he's talking about where they would be in the presence of the Lord. So when God gave the commands to Moses to build the tabernacle, which was a tent of meeting, which was when the Israelites were on their way from Egypt to the promised land, uh, it was their place where they would meet with God. And uh, we see this in the last step of the process because the God comes down onto this tabernacle as this pillar of fire, as this cloud that descends and sits over that place. And so when the Israelites would come into that tabernacle, they were very much coming into the presence of God. And the same thing for the temple that David was part of building and later Solomon would be as well. It had a room in there called the Holy of Holies. And that was the place that was the, the recognized place for the presence of God, right? And the high priest would go in there once a year and offer a special sacrifice. But that was a visual representation of the presence of God because things are different for us today. That moment when you and I accept Christ as Savior, 
when we recognize that the work that he's done on the cross takes our place, uh, covers our sin, and we accept that work on our behalf, God places his Holy Spirit in us. So we literally have that presence of God in us at that moment. And so when uh, the psalmist talks about this desire to be in the house of the Lord, he's asking to be in the presence of God. And that should be our response to the enemy as well. We need to be in the presence of God. And four things come by being in the presence of the Lord. We see this in the second half of verse four, the first one. It says, delighting in the Lord's perfections, right? Part of being in the presence of the Lord is delighting, finding joy in who God is and what God has done on our behalf. Second thing it says there is, uh, and continuing on, it says, meditating in his temple. And uh, Ricardo talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is not the Eastern religions, mysticism idea of uh, meditating, you know, kind of an idea. This uh, is just talking about the fact that we reflect on who God is and what he's done in his work and his word in our lives. So this might come, right, where you, uh, in the morning, uh, read a passage of scripture and something grabs your attention, something hits you and you're like, oh, that's really, really good. And you start thinking about that throughout the day. Keeps coming back to it. And think about how do I apply this in my life? How can I use this in the conversations that I'm in? That's what he means by meditating. When we're in the presence of God, he's giving this stuff, uh, that information to allow us to be able to continue to reflect on it throughout the day. And then he says in the end of verse uh, six, at his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. So in the Old Testament period, right, the, uh, the people of Israel would have brought a sacrifice to the temple, perhaps for the forgiveness of sins in their family, perhaps as a thanks offering, depending on what the nature of, of why they were going to the temple. But while we do, don't live in a world of that same kind of sacrifice, when we look at uh, Romans 12.1, uh, God is still expecting a sacrifice from us. Romans 12.1 reminds us that uh, his desire for us is that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You remember when I spoke a couple months ago on, this, uh, on that passage, that word body there uh, doesn't just mean our physical body. It means all of who we are. Because our natural tendency when we get away from the presence of God is to be consumed by self consumed by the desires of ourself, consumed with fulfilling who we are. Well, I'm having a me day. I'm taking care of me. I'm making me the most important, right? That's our tendency. And God's desire for us is that we're willing to sacrifice me, the me, the self part, and uh, be and live in his presence. And then finally, the fourth aspect of being in the presence of God says singing and praising the Lord uh, with music, right? Part of being in the presence of God is recognizing him for who he is, where we engage in praise. And one of the great ways that we can do that is by singing and praising the Lord uh, with music. So the second thing that God wants us to do when we're dealing with enemies is to gain strength by being in his presence. Third thing that God wants to do, and we're going to see this in verses 7 through 10, is he wants us to seek him in the midst of our challenges, so 7 through 10 is really interesting because it's a very, uh, there's a tone change in this passage. It says, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. So there's a real, the, these verses reflect a real change in tone. 
there's a despair in the psalmist at this point. He's, he's down. The enemy has gotten him. There, there's a defeated tone in, in who he is, and it's sort of captured in these verses. I think it's really interesting. I think it's very different from the first six verses of the chapter. And it's a reflection of the reality that every one of us has emotions. That's part of who we are. And there are times when those things get hold of us and own us. So despite the fact that I know what's true, despite the fact that uh, God is in control, that God is the source of my strength and uh, I can be confident in him, there are still times when those emotions, uh, the difficulties, the challenges of what we're dealing with the enemy get us down and, uh, and put us in a very difficult place. And we sort of see that in these four do not expressions that uh, David uses here. He says, do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. There's this almost hopeless despair to what he's dealing with. But I think he finishes with something that I think is a lesson for us as well. It says, O God of my salvation, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. I think what he's doing here is he's demonstrating the power of reminding yourself of something that's true even when you don't feel it. This is like one time. You ever hear that expression, the name it, claim it kind of a gospel? This is one time where I think it's actually legitimate to do this. That when we're in the midst of difficulties, when we're in the midst of challenges, when the enemy's got us down, when we're feeling blue, we're feeling low, and those moments will happen. Even in the midst of those moments, part of our strategy can be to name and claim that promise that's from God. Even if I don't feel it, I claim it at that moment because I know it's true. The Lord will hold me close. Fourth, the psalmist, God through the psalmist wants us to wait patiently for God. And we see this in the verses 11 through 14. He says there, teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. Uh, two things I want you to see about the enemy from those, uh, those two verses. First of all, our enemies want to see us fail, want to see us fall, particularly morally. Right? That person at work you know, they would love to make an HR complaint about you, about something that you should or should not have done with your coworker. They'd love to make an HR complaint because you took a little extra time at lunch than you're supposed to take, or that you carried something home from work that actually belongs to the work and doesn't belong to you, right? They want to see you fall morally, or maybe they're, they see you as the enemy because of what you believe about God or what they think that you believe about them. And they, they, want, they want you to fail morally. They're like, yes, I know you're a little bit like one of those Catholic priests and you're going to engage in something you shouldn't do. Or we know that all those pastors at these churches are all about getting money from people, right? So they want you to fail morally. And then the second thing that we can see from them particularly maybe when that doesn't happen, it says, for they accuse me of things I've never done. Our enemies will accuse us. They want to, uh, to uh, make us look bad in front of others. They want to even wrongfully accuse us of things. And so uh, this awareness of what the enemy is about. But there's four important adjectives that the, David finishes with in this psalm 
that all relate to how we need to be waiting uh, for God's response. He says in verse 13, yet I am confident, and that's the same word bata, so it's confident in, right? He's a confident in the substance and nature of God and confident in what God has done throughout history and throughout my own life. Uh, have confidence in have confidence that I will see the good, Lord's goodness. Second adjective he uses is he says, wait patiently for the Lord. And I know English teachers, patiently there is an adverb, but the word patient is an adjective. And, um, and so, the, um, so what God's calling us to there is calling us to patience. This is really hard, right? Right? You come home from a day and the enemies attacked you, that person at work that's out to get you, or that toxic relationship that you have, or that person that hates on you because of you being a Christian, that they're out to get you and you've had a really rough day. And you, maybe it's been worse than that. Maybe it's been a really rough week where you've really felt it. Or maybe even it's been a horrible month where this person has just made your life miserable. And it's hard to say, how can I be patient in that situation? But I think part of what God wants us to have is a little bit of perspective. That day or that week, even that month, in the scope of your life, is really not that long at all. In the scope of eternity, it's really nothing at all. And so I think part of the lesson for what God wants in this situation is that when we are dealing with an enemy and we're waiting patiently to recognize that today might have been tough, but tomorrow does not need to be the same. This week might have been horrible, but next week can be better because God will act. God, I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness. And then he finishes with two uh, adjectives. I'll give them both together, but he says, be brave and courageous. The other time we see these in scripture together is in Joshua chapter one. And it's where the God is giving uh, Joshua the charge before he leads the people of Israel into the promised land. It's into Canaan, so there's enemies there. Uh, but he's, he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And he says it like four or five times. He really wants him to be strong and courageous. And I think there's something uh, to this. Because in that situation, he had already promised that land of Canaan for the people of Israel. Joshua, all he had to do was to say, Lord, you've given us this. I know this is true. But even in that, there's a need for Joshua to be strong and courageous. And I think that's part of where we need to be, that we can be confident in the fact that I will see the Lord's goodness, but even in the midst of that, the difficulties and challenges that we have with the enemy mean that we need to, even though the victory is assured, we need to be strong and courageous. There's another aspect to this as well. When Joshua was going into the land, it was to redeem the land, right, to take the land back. Uh, for the people of Israel, because that had been the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob, and so on. And so it, the act of uh, Joshua going into the land was an act of redemption. And I think that God calls us to acts of redemption as well, so that when we work, like I think of this with uh, Project Atlas that was described, right? When we work in that environment, we're an, we're an agent of redemption, we're able to overcome some of the brokenness and fallenness of this world by being salt and light, by, uh, by redeeming some of the structures that exist within society and bring things closer to the way they were designed by God in creation. So God, in those situations, calls us to be brave 
and courageous. So you might have come here today, thought, I don't have any enemies because I'm supposed to love on all of them, right? Um, But the reality is there may be somebody in your life that sees you as the enemy. And I think Psalm 27 has some encouragement for us, right? First, to recognize God as the source of our strength and confidence. Gain that strength by being in the presence of God. uh, Seeking him in the midst of our challenges. And then fourth, waiting patiently for God. So as the worship team comes up, uh, let me just close us today as well. Trust him when you're in the midst of these tough situations. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that even something that was written 4,000 years ago or so, 3,000 years ago, has such relevance today because of the work of your Holy Spirit, both on the author and in our interpretation of it as well, Lord. Lord, help us to be in your presence, to delight in your presence, to be trusting you to be the strength and confidence that we can have. And Lord, even when we're, we're dominated by our emotions that point us in negative and difficult directions where we feel, woe is me, to turn to you and to wait patiently for you to act on our behalf, Lord. Thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.